Welcome to the Terry and Jesse Show. I am reporting for duty to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm always on duty for Jesus. And by the way, today is the feast day of St. Peter Claver. He's one of the greatest Jesuit missionaries in the 17th century. He was born uh, to a family in Spain. He entered the Jesuits at the age of 20. He volunteered for the Spanish missions. He was sent to Colombia where he saw the misery of captured Africans in the slave ships and in the plantations. And he made a vow to become a slave, uh, the, the slave of the black slaves. So he spent the rest of his life caring, caring for, ransoming, and preaching the gospel to black slaves. St. Peter pray, uh, Claver, pray for us. Uh, the month of September is also the month devoted to Our Lady of Sorrows. This is a devotion given to us by St. Bridget of Sweden. And so we pray also, Our Lady of Sorrows and St. Bridget of Sweden, pray for us. Terry. Hey, brother, I want to mention one more thing about the saint of the day. Uh, not, not many people are aware of, but he actually lived with the slaves to protect them, for protecting them of their rights as slaves. And if anything went bad, man, he, 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 he was like a mother hand, man. He just took care of business. So I really respect him. And uh, in one sense, I, I think of the slavery of abortion of our own age and how we mm. stand up for the unborn. But Yes, I'm doing well. I'm calling in from my home, actually. I'm not in uh, the office, and I'm grateful. And just today, special day, because you picked out something that I thought was just outstanding. Number one topic, Europe's twilight. Christianity declines. Islam rises. When we hear the statistics, it's like, um, you know, uh, it's, it's like they're at the end of their time, and they're acting like they're the Titanic. They're sinking, and they're still dancing, thinking that, hey, not, not, no, there's no problem. But we can hear what we have to talk on that also a good yeah. friend of ours father ed broom oblate to the uh, mother he has got an article on 10 concrete ways to improve your marriage very good thing i i love the line that uh, says the best marriage prep is an adult prep in other words you're an adult when you get married yes. all right number three the healing power of the psalms we're going to take bishop athanasius snyder excuse me not saint athanasius snyder's Beautiful meditations on the healing power of the Psalms. You're going to love that and much, much more. You got some good news stories for us, Jeff? <clears throat> yeah, I got a couple of stories, Terry, before we uh, before I get into the gospel yeah. of the day. Sure. Th sure. This is, uh, we all know that Queen Elizabeth II, she's passed away. She was yep. the longest reigning like the monarch in British history. And she's yep. the oldest and longest serving head of state in the entire world. She died at the age of 96. She died in, in Balmoral Ball Castle in Scotland. And so we pray for the repose of her soul, eternal rest grant unto her, Lord, and let your perpetual light shine upon her. May the soul of Queen Elizabeth II, through the mercy of God, rest in peace. Amen. Yes, Amen. <clears throat> we also know that Queen Elizabeth, she met with five popes. Uh, this, uh, she met uh, with, so that's a long career of public service. And uh, Pope Benedict, he said, that he had shared profound concerns because uh, they, they met each other privately and back in 2010, Pope Benedict XVI and Queen Elizabeth II. <clears throat> and Pope Benedict says that, that Queen Elizabeth shared profound concerns for the well-being of the world's people and for the role of Christian values in society. And, mm -hmm. uh, and again, uh, there's a lot of people... <clears throat> There's a, a lot of people in the Catholic Church, they have their own reasons to mourn the passing away of Queen Elizabeth. She, she presided over a period of English history in which Catholics 
gained greater acceptance in public life in England than many thought possible after the 15th century split between the Catholics and the, and, and the Church of England, or between the, the Crown and the Roman Catholic Church. And so Queen Elizabeth II, according to Catholics, she really bridged the gap and brought in harmony and reconciliation mm-hmm. uh, with Catholics like nobody else in, in the last 400 years that right. uh, took her that took her place. So uh, she was a woman, Terry. It, it appears from everything that I've read about her, she was a woman of goodwill. Yeah, I would imagine she would. Yep. So let's pray for her and pray for uh, the the whole uh, country of England that uh, things go smooth for them in their transition. Terry, I just want to mention two things. One thing that may sure. may happen here in, in in the United States and in California, it's happening in Switzerland because things that happen in Europe seem to come come across the pond. But the yep. citizens of of Switzerland this winter, they may face fines or even imprisonment if they set their thermostats above 66 degrees Fahrenheit. <laughs> because they're saying that the cost of natural gas in Europe has already increased more than tenfold, and authorities have the power under Swiss law to fine and imprison the residents Amazing. who consume too much gas <laughs> during energy rationing. And so those who wow. failed to comply with the temperature mandates could receive sanctions between 30 and 3,000 Swiss francs. That's the equivalent of $31 to $3,000. Terry, don't think that the liberals in the U.S. aren't looking at Switzerland saying, ah, mm-hmm. here's a way to go after people of faith. We're going to tell right. them that they can't put their thermostats above 66 degrees. You know what will happen? Most people, especially old people, will just freeze to death. That's right. The last thing I want to mention is this. <clears throat> this is crazy. This is the world that we live in now. 22% of Democrats believe yeah. that a man can get pregnant. Is this, is oh. this microphone on? Let me check. Hold on. Let me do, let me do a Larry Elder check here. Larry Elder check. Okay. Yep, the microphone's on. Yeah. <laughs> More than one in five Democrats in the United States believe that a man can get pregnant. That's why... I'm 61 years old. That's why I left the Democrat Party at the age of 26. Terry? Yeah, unbelievable, Jesse. That's amazing. <laughs> this is the world. Why do you think we're teaching you about Jesus? Because uh, there's no other answer to the world. The world is so, so, has gone so crazy that it has no focus other than themselves, the unholy trinity of the me, myself, and I. Hey, Jess, um, let's get into some uh, gospel, really the good news. That, that yeah. news, what you just mentioned, just shows how decadent <laughs> the world is, bro. Let's give them some good news. Of Jesus Christ. Today's gospel at Holy Mass is in Luke chapter 6, verse 39 to 42. Speak, Lord, your servants are listening. Here's what our blessed Lord tell, tells us today. Jesus told his disciples a parable. Can a blind mm-hmm. person guide a blind person? Will not both fall into a pit? Now, now that, yeah. Terry, this is exactly, for example, like Biden, a blind person <laughs> yeah, really. leading the country. Yep. He's leading the whole country into a pit. You could have bishops, priests, politicians, moms, dads. A person in leadership, if they're spiritually blind to the gospel, they do a lot of damage because they lead other people to that blind spot, like today's gospel said. Our Lord says, no disciple is superior to the teacher, but when fully trained... Every disciple will be like his teacher. The word disciple actually means student. That's what it means in Greek, mathetes. 
Who's the master? Who's the teacher? Jesus. We are the disciples. We're the students. That's what the word disciple means in Greek. Why do you notice the splinter in your brother's eye, but you do not perceive the wooden beam in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me remove that splinter in your eye when you do not even notice the wooden beam in your own eye? You hypocrite. Remove the wooden beam from your from your eye first, then you will see clearly to remove the splinter in your brother's eye. The gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. So what what does this mean, Terry? <clears throat> Number one, we, we we are called to make judgments of people's behaviors, but when you do so, you better make sure that your house is in order. Don't be telling your brother in law to stop, you know listening to filthy music or watching pornography if you're doing the same thing but you're saying well but i'm a married man so i can do that no you're doing the same thing and here you are telling somebody else not to do this in other words when you make a moral judgment and we would call that a spiritual work of mercy paragraph 2447 instruct the ignorant advise the ignorant when you do so and we also call that fraternal correction Make sure that your house is in order. Don't be on your sixth beer and tell your neighbor, hey, dude, you need to stop drinking as he has a beer in his hand in his front yard and you just finished your sixth Corona. You, you know, th- that's, what the, that's what the gospel is saying today. Before you open your mouth and say something, make sure you have order in your, in your life, spiritual order, intellectual order, physical order. And also the catechism says... When it comes to judgment, don't make rash judgments. Rash, R-A-S-H. What does that mean? It means don't say something about somebody if you're not absolutely sure. You better be proof positive before you start saying, uh, yeah, my brother-in-law is having an affair in my sister-in-law. And you tell a family member, you better make sure that this is true and this is not a rumor because rash judgment is a mortal sin according to the Catholic Church because it can destroy somebody's character. Terry, take it away. Well said, Jeff. I want to bring the smartest guy into the room. Both seen ahead. This time, one of Henry... uh, Henry Newman is with Bishop Sheen on this train. He's one of his favorite men that he would quote when Philton Sheen was alive, having a good chat. And I love what... Henry Newman said to Bishop Sheen, he said, Earth has no sorrow that heaven cannot heal. Jesse, you and I have said that in a lot of different ways, that, you know, we're, we're focused on the next life, that this life, as short as it is, sure, we can have some pleasure, things in this life, but it has nothing compared to what heaven is all about. So let's just keep our eyes focused on Jesus Christ and not on this world. And I think that's the message from John Henry Weston. You're listening to the Terry and Jesse show. Up next, <clears throat> we're going to be talking about Europe's, twi- Europe's twilight. Is Christianity in decline in Europe? Hmm. We'll also be talking about 10 ways to improve your marriage. Stick around. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. Europe's twilight, Christianity declines and Islam rises. 
<laughs> this this well, article is worth reading. It's too long. I'm just, we're just going to give you some bullets, and then we'll talk about how to evangelize Islam. Uh, that's what I'm more interested in. Amen. But yeah, this <clears throat> this article. I'll give you an overview of what it says. It's, it's several pages. It says that Germany's losing its Christianity big time, and so when Christianity wanes, what happens? There's a vacuum that's provided and what's the vacuum that's coming into europe islam a false religious system by a false prophet (laughs) you guys are saying yeah now i know why jesse romero is not on on regular catholic radio yeah (laughs) because i because of of truthful statements just like this yeah they say you can't do this so me and terry had to start our own radio station we're happy with it by the way um Amen. So the point the point is the article says Terry and I'll just say it, who's losing their faith in, in, by by the truckload France who's losing their faith by to Muslims who's losing the faith by the truckload uh, to Muslims Germany so it's all documented in this article it all goes into the detail uh, who's losing their faith uh, in, in this article to to uh, Islam Spain. Hey, yes, let me just jump in on, for a quick yeah. note. Th- yeah, go ahead, this article is so dense with, uh, with the facts. Yeah. But, you know, like 65, okay, here it is, comparing only the weekly frequency of Friday prayers at the mosque and Sunday mass at church, the future is clear. 65% of practicing Catholics in France are over 50 years old. By contrast, 73% of practicing Muslims are under the age of three. And just this is what blows me away. This, the, this milestone, this is a um, St. Clair political scientist analyst explained that the milestone of 10,000 mosques at a current rate will be reached by 2100. They're going to have uh, 10,000 full mosques and 10,000 practically empty Catholic churches. And I had to look this word up fortnight. It said a mosque is erected Every fortnight. That means every two weeks, Jesse. Whoa. Uh, the, the, yeah, every two weeks, a mosque in France is being erected while Christian buildings are being destroyed at the same rate. Come on, you don't have to be a, 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 a scientist to figure this out, dude. This is clear on our mind, and that is Europe is becoming Muslim so quick. And here's the reason I believe the, that it's happening, Jesse. And we want to talk about to evangelize these folks. The reason it's happened is because our fires have gone out. The faith has not been passed on, and we have a bunch of people who really want to worship themselves, the unholy trinity, me, myself, and I, and they don't care about the future. So, you know, who cares about religion? And if the Muslims come in, well, I'll be dead by that time. Your your thoughts, Jeff? Yeah, let's finish off these bullets. You finished bullet number three. Mm -hmm. There's, I think, nine bullets or ten. Yeah, it says... says, The author said, the author of the article writes, it's called Europe's Twilight, Christianity Declines, Islam Rises. Fourth bullet says this. During my first trip to the Middle East in the early 1980s, I did not see veiled women, and gradually the veil spread everywhere. It is a sign of the re-Islamization of Muslim societies, and in this sense, it takes on a political and geopolitical dimension. It is part of a conquest strategy. Friends is in a state of self-dimitude. What is self-dimitude? It's a legal and political status applicable to non-Muslim citizens in a state governed by Islam 
according to a prescription of the Quran, chapter 9, verse 29. Here's what it says about dhimmis. It says, dhimmis do not enjoy equal citizenship with the true believers who are Muslims. So in other words, it's kind of like a second-class citizenship. When Muslims yep. are, are, the, are, are the dominant population, you non-Muslims become second-class citizens. Terry, what's the fifth bullet? Well, I'm going to do the sixth. You'll do the fifth because okay, this okay. one got me. Christianity in Germany seems stable, right? The Germans make lots of money because of the taxes. But in reality, it's on the verge of collapse. Pastors and bishops, but also many actively involved lay people, see landscapes in bloom where in reality there's nothing but a desert. And what I mean by that is we keep talking about hundreds of thousands of Catholics when they go to register with the government for paying taxes, they go, you know what? I'm no longer Catholic, Mr. Government. I don't want to pay any more extra money to the Catholic Church. And so what's happening is Germany is, you know, thinking that they need to continue to compromise and not make any demands. And what they're really doing is they're watering their religion down to nothing, and Islam is going to come right in and take over. Here's the next bullet. France, due to a colonial complex and a sense of guilt, anticipates a legal and political situation that is not yet imposed on it, but which could be a, a day in which Islam, it will be a majority, and therefore able to govern our country. The situation is really worrying. Before it becomes dramatic, it is urgent to put an end to the concessions we are multiplying to Islamism by hiding behind our values. Because by doing so, we erase our own civilization. So in other words, France is being shamed by historical revisionists. And they're saying, you yeah. French have been mean to the Muslims in the past. Yeah, so now you friends that. have to keep your mouth shut and let illegal immigrant Muslims come into your con country by the busloads <laughs> and just put up with it and shut up and don't say anything. Because you guys, you French should be... Uh, suffering from white guilt because you guys were mean to the Muslims in history. That's exactly what it means as colonial complex, Terry. It's the liberals well, that are trying to shame friends into sh shutting their mouth, and it's working. It seems to be working. Absolutely. This yeah, next, next bullet. bullet is excellent. Muslims, the winners of the democratic, de demographic change. It's a headline, and the U.S. researchers predict for the first time in history... There will be more Muslims than Christians. Societies change even in, you know, many countries. And I think about what that, what we just thought, Jesse, is the babies that are coming, I mean, names, it's all Muslims. Where are the Christians? You know what they're doing? They're contracepting. Yeah, I've read that in Europe, Terry, the, mm -hmm. the most popular name that's given in, uh, yep. in OBGYN hospitals around all of Europe. Mm -hmm. Uh, the most common name is Muhammad. Yep, that's a fact. I've heard the yeah. same thing. Next, a bullet. In Trier, Germany, where Karl Marx was born, the diocese announced an unprecedented cut in the number of parishes, which in the next few years will be reduced from 900 parishes to 35 in Trier, I'm, Germany. I'm going to tell you, Terry, we're going to be going to Mass in people's backs... We'll be going to mass in people's backyards at the rate it, it, this is happening at the, at the, at the well, rate so the meltdown is happening. Well, it'll be it'll be just like the it'll be like the Cristeros or the Japanese Catholics. Yeah, unless you're over at by uh, by Virgin Most Powerful in Covina, where we have that's the right. Our chapel, 
because we own that baby. Nobody's going to take that from us. That's right. Hey, just the next one. The Belgium Economic Newspaper says Brussels was at the forefront of secularization before confronting an active Muslim minority. The first religion in Brussels today, guess who it is? It's Islam. Mm. Belgium anthropologist Oliver Cervantes confirmed a Muslim presence in Brussels at 33.5%, predicting a majority by 2000. What? Just 30? Yeah, Jesse, it's changing so quick, and nobody is taking acknowledge of what's going on. Go ahead. Terry, yeah, Terry, I, I think the best way to talk to a Muslim, I mean, the, no. the, the best way to evangelize a Muslim is, is seriously, and there's a lot of websites that have uh, a side-by-side uh, yep. Like biography of our Lord Jesus Christ and Muhammad. There's you can mm-hmm. type in, for example, the religion of They have a side by side comparison of Jesus and Muhammad. You can type in letusreason.org. They have a side by side a comparison of Jesus and Muhammad. There's another one called answeringislam.org. You have a side by side comparison between Jesus and Islam. In other words, you can just go to any search engine and type in yep. Jesus and Muhammad. It'll give you a side by side panel and it'll tell you, for example, Jesus never sinned, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. Muhammad was a sinner. It'll give you the, the verse in the Quran. Jesus performed 36 miracles to give you the verses. Uh, it'll say, Muhammad never performed any miracles. It'll give you the verses in the Quran. And so I think the best way. Instead of knowing all the nuances about Islam, about the religion, about their doctrines, Mm -hmm. we have to know about their founders. Forget about everything else. Get to know who Jesus is and get to know who Muhammad is. And I'm telling you, you could just type in any search engine, type in a comparison between Jesus and Muhammad. You'll see a side-by-side column by both Catholic and Protestant apologists that have put these up. And you can read this and reread this, copy this, you know, take a picture of it, put it on your phone. If you ever run a car yeah. across a Muslim, a neighbor, friend, you want to say, you could send it to people. But this is the best way to, because I'll tell you, I've used this. I copied this yeah. on my phone. Uh, a Muslim Uber driver picked me up several years ago when you and me got invited to go speak at Relevant Radio and uh, over in the, yeah. at the Marriott Hotel in Long Beach. Remember that? Probably like seven years yeah. ago, I think, I eight years ago. Jesse, Jesse I, don't push. This story is so good. Okay. We might have to repeat it or send the rest of it at the end of the break. Start it off because it's a, it's a knee-jerker. Um, yeah, just so the, a, a big Muslim picked me up and an Uber picked me and Anita up. <laughs> I said, take, take us yeah. over to the Long Beach Marriott. So it's about 20 minutes away. He, he looked mm-hmm. at my neck. I had a big old St. Benedict's crucifix hanging on my neck and a St. Benedict's medal, yeah. a St. Uh, miraculous medal. He goes, oh, that's a crucifix. He didn't say cross. He said crucifix. I said, ah. I said, ah, you know, you, you, you know your way through Catholic terminology because he didn't say that's a cross. I started right. saying, uh, you got a European accent. He goes, oh, yeah, I'm from Austria. I said, oh, you must be a good Catholic boy. He goes, then he goes, no. I'm a Muslim. I said, oh, no. In my mind, I said, oh, no. Then I said, hey, have you ever been Catholic? He goes, I think in my family tree there were some Catholics, but my mom and dad are Muslims, and I was raised Muslim. I said, really? I said, you want me to tell you about Jesus? And he goes, I don't know much about him other than my, what, what they teach at the mosque. I said, let me tell you about the real Jesus. He says, all right, go ahead. We got a 20-minute drive. So, Terry, I had this, you know, the, I went to this website comparing Jesus and Muhammad, put it, brought it up in my phone. 
And I said, okay. I said, here's what we know about Jesus. Jesus never sinned. Muhammad sinned. Jesus performed 26 exorcisms. Muhammad never performed any exorcisms. Jesus. So I went down, Terry, and slowly, compassionately, this kid, by the time we pulled to the Long Beach Marriott, he was blown away. He goes, I've never heard a Roman Catholic speak like you in my life. <laughs> he goes, this is amazing. And, uh, and I said, you need to come to the Catholic Church. That's the one true church. You're from Austria. You have Catholic roots in your family. I said, I hate to tell you, I'm going to give you your money and pay you, but you've embraced a false religion and your soul's in danger. Terry, he took me serious. He asked me right Great there. Story. He asked me, can you pray for me, Mr. Romero? I want to know the truth. Me and my wife prayed for him right there in front of the entrance of the Marriott in Long Beach in front of about 200 people. Hey, up next, we're going to talk about 10 ways to improve your marriage. Stick around. Don't change that dial. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. Let's talk about 10 ways we can improve our marriage because this is exactly what we're saying is attacking our church and our culture and our world. He's attacking marriages and he's attacking our children. And so Father Edward Broom, a very good holy priest from the Diocese of Los Angeles, he's given us these basic building blocks, 10 basic building blocks so that we can stabilize our marriage, bring God into our marriage, sanctify our marriage, uh, really make the sacrament of matrimony holy because that's the purpose. The purpose of the sacrament of matrimony is, uh, is once again to glorify God and to bring children to the world. And once children are conceived and born, it's the serious obligation of mom and dad to bring them to the waters of baptism. The waters of baptism make them children of God. It brings the presence of God into their lives. And then mom and dad, our job is, by prayer, is to make our kids grow in the knowledge and love for God. This is done principally by teaching our children to pray, but also by preparing our children by example. We have to make our houses domestic churches and prepare our churches, or, or prepare our children to worthily receive the sacraments of confession, Holy Eucharist, and the sacrament of confirmation. Why? That's the normal way of getting to heaven. You know, Terry, uh, years ago, there was a song by Led Zeppelin. They, they sang a song called Stairway to Heaven. Okay, I don't know what Le- Led Zeppelin's Stairway to Heaven is, but the real Stairway to Heaven are the seven sacraments of the church. That's the supernatural plane that we're supposed to pay for our children so that our kids can one day become permanent citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Terry? Terry's not there. Terry's probably out uh, taking care of his grandson. So, let me give you 10 suggestions by Father Edward Broom. 10 concrete suggestions on how a husband and wife can grow in their love for God, their love for each other, their love for their children. And again, uh, their desire to get their kids. I have three young adults. I still have a burning desire. I pray for them every morning, every evening. How do I pray for my kids? Here's a prayer that I pray. It comes from Numbers chapter 6, verse 24 to 26. I pray this in the morning, and I pray this in the evening. I put, I bring my wife and my kids in my mind, and my grandkids now, and my in-laws, because they're married. And so I'll say, 
May the Lord bless my marriage, bless my children, bless their marriages, and bless my grandchildren. And keep us safe. And shine His face upon us. And be gracious to us and be kind to us and give us His peace. Amen. That prayer was taught to us by Moses through God. It's called the Numbers chapter 6 verse 24 prayer. It's a beautiful short prayer. You can pray for your kids every morning, every evening. Because my desire is that my kids make it to heaven. Because everything in the world is trying to pull them away from heaven. Everything. This culture of death. So let's go through the 10 things that Saint, that, excuse me, that Father Edward Broom talks about here. Number one, prayer. You got to pray for your spouse and pray for your family every day. Offer Mass for your spouse as well, at least a couple of times a year on her birthday, on your anniversary, and the more the better. Father Broom writes that for the 25th anniversary of his priesthood, he said, my mom had 25 Masses offered for my intentions. Because remember, one Mass has greater value than the whole world. It, it is the precious blood of Jesus offered to the Father for the salvation of the world. The second thing, Terry's back. Number two. I'm Terry, back. are you back? Yep. Okay. Yeah, I'm N- back. Yes, go ahead. Number two, second recommendation by Father Edward Broom. He says, this is my advice that I very often give couples on their wedding day. They have to learn these, uh, these one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, these eight words. I love you, forgive me, and I forgive you. <laughs> so Father Edward Broom says on the wedding day, he says, I yep. teach that to the people that are getting married. To be able to say often, I love you. To say often, forgive me. To say often, I forgive you. Terry, number three. Yeah, number three. Before we do that, I just want to mention about forgiveness. We ended up years ago doing a CD, The Hidden Power of Forgiveness. Uh, And I got to tell you, Deacon Bob McDonald knocked the ball out of the park. Hundreds of thousands of those went out. And I would encourage you, if you're a monthly donor, we do send those out to you those kind of CDs like that on an electronic file all the time. But if you do have that one on forgiveness, call the office and they'll get it to you and email it to you. Eight, uh, the number for the office is 877-526-2151. Number three, this is huge, anger and resentment. The Bible admonishes us, do not let the sun go down on your anger. There's Ephesians 4.26. If you have a quarrel, disagreement, Discord, make sure you never go to bed angry at each other. If you do, the anger turns into resentment, coldness and bitterness, and even at times into hatred. Well said, Father. Remember what Jesus says. If someone has something against you and you are about to offer your gift at the altar, then leave your gift at the foot of the altar. Go to be reconciled. Then return to offer your gift. This is Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 to 24. Jesus said, be merciful as your heavenly Father is merciful. And then Luke chapter 6, 36. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Right from the, the Our Father. Matthew six twelve. The Catholic English poet. There you go. Alexander Pope added. And I like this line. This is a classic line. To error is human, to forgive divine. Matter of fact, Jesse, think about this. The Jews, before Christianity, they didn't see the value of forgiveness. Mm-mm. It was only in Christianity when Jesus Christ told us that. That was a stumbling block 
for the Jews. Am I wrong? Oh, or something, Jeff? absolutely. Yeah. Number four, an act of kindness every day, every night before retiring, oh. plan that every that every, that that every night, do mm-hmm. some little act of charity to make your spouse happy the following day. Okay, yeah. it's called. Okay. There's actually a book that talks all about this called The Hidden Power of Kindness, uh, which which Bostic. that would change the world, Terry, if everybody would tap into into the wisdom of that book. Yeah. Yeah, and that book's published by Sophia Press, people. You need to get that book, The Hidden yeah. Power of Kindness. Kindness. Well said, Jeff. Number five now? Yeah. Let me, okay, renew your honeymoon. Oh, yeah, let's do that. As spouses, you must work continually on communication skills. Why not once a month go out to the restaurant, leaving the kids with the babysitter so that you will have time to talk, share, organize, and simply enjoy each other's company? When I go out with a couple of friends, with a couple of my own friends for a meal, I usually end by saying the meal was great, but the company was even much better. I'm going to add something that Fulton Sheen adds when you talk about renewing your honeymoon. Renew your marriage vows. Fulton Sheen says in three to get married, your love for your wife will not last because you're strong. It will last because you have the power to renew it. So that night you take her out once a month, renew your vows to each other. That'll bind you. Next, Jess. Yeah, the next one, the the next gem, number six. Yeah. Fulton Sheen's advice, his book, Three to Get Married, The Husband, the Wife, and God. Never can we emphasize enough the importance of praying together as a couple and praying together as a family. The immortal words of Father Patrick Payton, the famous mm-hmm. rosary priest, resound so true. The family that prays together stays together. Number seven. Hey, man, number seven. Yes, he... This is so important. I learned this from another person that frequent compliments to your Mm -hmm. spouse. Are you kidding me? We live in a world with constant negativism, constant criticism, constant attacks, both physical and verbal. We must go in the opposite direction, folks. Try to offer words and expressions complimenting each other by pointing out the good qualities that are definitely present in your spouse. How easy is it to allow an excellent meal that the spouse has been preparing for hours without even one word of recognition? How easy is it for their husband to be working day and night, sweating and even suffering, so as to pay the bills? And it very rarely does it feel a word of compliment. In a word, how easy is it to take each other for granted? How easy is it to be blind to the good that the spouse is doing and carrying out on a daily basis. You know what I call that, Jeff? An attitude of gratitude. Mm-hmm. You know, look at your wife, look at your husband, and see the beautiful things they do each day. And, you know, what's it cost to say, honey, thank you for taking care of this kitchen. It looks immaculate. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know how you keep this thing so clean. You know, and then, yeah. Jess, one more thing that adds, even on marriage, have you ever said this to your wife, Jess? I did, I did this when my wife was young. Because I got it from Kimberly Hahn. And I would constantly tell her while she was working with the little bo- little kids of ours, i say, Mom, you're changing the world one diaper at a time. Yeah. Thanks for that yeah. commitment. Why? Because yeah. it's true. This is all true. Yes, amen. Excellent. Yeah, fa- monthly family day of retreat. Why not set aside an evening once a month to recharge the spiritual batteries of the whole family? How, you might ask? Quite simply, the following. Set aside one day evening with the, with the, with, with the following spiritual and then social activities. Line up for confession, the whole family, then Mass, and Holy Communion. And afterwards, pray the Holy Rosary together for family, love, and unity. 
after completing this family time of retreat, then the social part, off to whatever. Pollo loco, Father says. Try to kill two birds with one shot, the spiritual and the social, sacraments and prayer, and then the meal time and conversation. Remember, no cell phones. I love it. Number 10, be a good Samaritan to your spouse and others. Jesus is the good Samaritan who lifts up and helps man lying half dead on the roadside. However, the real good Samaritan right now must be both husband and wife, both of the spouses, instead of always looking to be served, help, and the center of attention. You need to be the uh, protagonist, a good Samaritan, striving to be of help and service to your spouse and other family members. Indeed, a true good, good Samaritan strives to live out the last and greatest commandment of Jesus, love one another as I have loved you. Yes, finish it up. May the Holy Family, Jesus, Mary, and St. Joseph be a model for all families. May their example and inspiration motivate all who have chosen the vocation of holy matrimony and the raising of a family to strive for holiness in this life and the eternal goal of heaven. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, we entrust our families to your loving care. Up next, the healing power of the Psalms. Stick around. You're probably going to hear things that you've never heard before. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. Quick commercial for those of you that live here, out here in the uh, Phoenix Diocese. This Saturday, I'll be at St. Juan Diego Catholic Church. It's in Chandler. I'll be there from sure. 7 to 8.30 p.m. talking about why we call Mary Virgin Most Powerful. That St. Juan Diego Catholic Church, this Saturday, uh, September 17th, in the city of Chandler. Uh, the topic, start, it'll be after Holy Mass. Holy Mass finishes at 7 p.m. We'll be talking about why we call our Blessed Mother the Virgin Most Powerful. See you guys, uh, Phoenicians, there this Saturday at St. Juan Diego Catholic Church. Also, I'm a co-chair for uh, Catholics for Kerry Lake. Kerry Lake is running for governor here. She'll be the female Ron DeSantis. We've got to push mm-hmm. her through the finish line. And so for sure. those of you that want to get involved in the campaign, I'm the co-chair, me and my wife. It's called Catholics for Kerry Lake. Text the name Jesus, J-E-S-U-S, to 833-635-0694. That's text the name Jesus to 833 833- Six three five zero six nine four. That way, you can help us get the word out. Join the team of Catholics for Carrie Lake. She's pro life, pro family, and she's the right woman for the job. Terry, let's talk about the healing power of the Psalms. Absolutely, with Saint Athanasius, I love it. Just get right in. And Jesse, the man who wrote this, Paul Kurowski, he's in the seminary. Man, he's becoming a priest. I just think that's awesome. So, you know, he's, he's going to be talking about St. Athanasius offers a beautiful meditations on the uniqueness and power of the Psalms for bringing about emotional healing. Does our world need that? Oh, huh. what he says about praying with the Psalms, I think, can best be understood through the lens of classical Greek conceptions. This is, 
a really important article, and I know we can't go through it all, Jess, but... Uh, I've, got it, I've got it highlighted, the main parts of it. Go for it, Jess. Okay. So there's a Greek concept called mim- mimesis, or in Latin it's called representatio. Mm-hmm. And what this means... This means that this has a, a strongly crystal-central, crystal-centric character. In other words, the Psalms are crystal-centric. Saint Athanasius, he wrote years ago, obviously, but we've lost none of their. The Psalms have lost none of their force today, especially for those who pray the Divine Office or the Liturgy of the Hours. It's mm-hmm. not uncommon today to hear the expression. People, young people, will say, "I feel that," or they'll say, they'll think, they'll say things like. <laughs> I feel that my grade is unfair, or I feel like mm-hmm. you don't understand me, or I feel like a woman, or I feel like a man. Such claims really express a judgment, not a feeling, but they show how closely we have come to align emotions with thought. Feelings have yep. become a kind, of, a kind of infallible guide to reality. I'm a man if I feel like one, or a woman if I feel like one, regardless of my biology. If I feel offended then you've said something offensive no matter what you said or why you said it. So this situation that we find ourselves in right now, it contrasts sharply with the view found in much of classical thought, namely that feelings can be reasonable or unreasonable and and to live a flourishing life. One must shape the emotions through the cultivation of virtue. This is the key right here. One Uh, must shape the emotions through the cultivation of virtue, holy habits. Plato, <laughs> yeah, Plato wrote a story called the Phaedrus. And in this story, he describes the emotions as two horses, as two spirited horses full of energy that need to be trained. And then he has the rider called the charioteer. He's called reason, the charioteer. And he's got two reins. The reins are attached to the horses. The reins are the will. That's a, that's a that's the higher uh, uh, one of the high faculties. The will. And mm-hmm. so the the reins are supposed to govern or master the two lazy, stubborn horses that we call the emotions or the appetites, which it's yoked to. But the problem is, Terry, and I'm going to go down to the article where it says. In line with the, the mimetic tradition, Athanasius gives us a wonderful summation of how the Psalms can shape our emotions with an eye to human flourishing and ultimately to salvation. Because yeah. the book of Psalms, Athanasius observes, contains elements of either the Old Testament books like history, prophecy, moral admonitions. But here's the key. This is why there's the, it, it soothes the emotions. Because the Psalms were set to music. Did you hear that? Yep. The, and your soul knows that. So even if you read the Psalms and you're not intoning them, your soul knows that these songs were composed to music. In other words, the Psalms has a certain grace of its own and a distinctive exactitude of expression. This next paragraph says everything about the article. Oh, Terry, I got it. Yeah, oh, it says, no, yeah, no, what is the unique grace of the Psalms? That's okay. it. Go ahead. Ter- take it away, yeah. Terry. No, you, well, you know what, Jeff? Okay. I had this highlighted also. Athens yeah, this is, is everything right here. First, the, yeah. yeah. 
The Psalms bring about the proper ordering and healing of our emotions. How? Not by a philosophical treatise or a theological exhortation, but by offering the perfect image of what the soul's course of life. That mm-hmm. is concrete examples that appeal to our institutions. Intuitions, uh, yeah. And serve, intuitions, I'm sorry, intuitions and serve as standards by which we can model our emotions. If we wish to learn endurance in trials, which we all want, for example, then we would do well to recite Psalm 39. But I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined me and he heard my cry. To express gratitude at having escaped trials, Psalm 33, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. To foster repentance for sin, hey, Psalm 50. Thomas Aquinas says the Psalms is a summary of the entire Bible. It is. Psalm Hmm. 50 says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to thy steadfast love, according to thy abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, to praise God for all of his gifts. Psalm 8, O Lord, our Lord, our, our Lord, how majestic is the name in all the earth, and so forth. The more we recite such psalms, the more they penetrate and shape our very being. I want to repeat that, Jess. The more we recite such psalms, the more we penetrate and shape our very being. In only only the lover's things... uh, Oh, that's another... Okay, so Jess, why don't you finish up with Joseph Piper? that's a book. Joseph Piper's a philosopher, and he wrote a book. It's called Only the Lover Sings. Joseph right. Pieper notes that music, in a way, bypasses a person's consciousness and goes directly to the heart. And, and so, again, since music articulates the immediacy of man's basic existential dynamism in an immediate way, the listener as well as address and challenge on that profound level where man's self-realization takes place. In this existential depth of the listener... Far below the level of, of expressible judgments, there echoes an identical immediacy, the same vibration articulated in the audible music. Herein lies music's power. The listener cannot help but be affected by the artist's mental and emotional state in which he or she composed a particular piece of music, whether that artist be a shallow, narcissistic pop star or divinely inspired psalmist. Mm-hmm. In other words, Terry, our soul knows that the psalms are composed of music, and music has, again, this immediate, uh, this immediate effect upon the human heart. The, it does, the, the emotions. Yep. This is why St. Athanasius says that one who takes up the Psalter is deeply moved, as though he himself were speaking, and is affected by the words of the songs, as if they were his own songs. Moreover... Mm-hmm. It is why he thinks that the Psalms should be sung because the melody of the words comes to symbolize and foster the spiritual harmony of the soul. Last paragraph, it says this, and here's this is again the cash value. The second element that comprises the unique grace of the Psalms is this. Unlike other forms of representatio, representation, mimesia, mimesis, the Psalms do not just conform our emotions to some praiseworthy natural or cultural standard of goodness. They conform them to Christ. Did you hear that? 
The Psalms conform your emotions to Christ. This is where the healing powers of the Psalms come from. St. Athanasius says, The Psalms conform your emotions to Christ. Christ is the source of all goodness. This is so because, as the Catholic Church teaches, the Old Testament anticipates and prefigures the New Testament, and specifically the words and actions of Christ. Thus, Athanasius notes, the Psalms provide a precursor to the perfect instruction and virtue which the Lord typified in himself. That is, the words of the psalmist prefigure the words and actions of Christ and provide an anticipatory model according to which we can form our character. Terry, just like bad music, it goes right to your emotions and you start popping your fingers, bobbing your head, tapping your toe, gyrating your hips. Uh, and those lyrics yeah. are burned in your in your in your hard drive. The same thing with the Psalms. Our soul knows that the Psalms are composed to music by the Jews, and so the power of this music, which is which the lyrics are come from heaven, they go right to your soul, and they tap the lower faculties of the soul, which are called your emotions, that are oftentimes disordered or attacked by Satan, or oftentimes just because of our fallen nature, they're disordered. The Psalms are able to snap our emotions back into place, Terry, and make us Christ-centered. Jesse, just a quick note. Bishop, I mean, St. Athanasius lived in the 4th century. Arianism was at the 4th century, and Arianism spread through music. So I think that St. Athanasius is spot on. There's a good example of how music was used in an evil way to to promote uh, error. And so his point is, and I think we have to take heed to this in the 21st century and be so cautious about the music we listen to. Absolutely, Terry. And uh, most of the music, I'd say about 90% of the music that's yep. coming out today is pure garbage. Much of it is yep. Luciferian, if not satanic. And so as Catholics, uh, let's make sure that we're cutting our teeth on the book of Psalms every day, especially if you go to Mass. Read the Psalm of the Day. Go in your iPhone and say, what did did, uh, God tell King David today? Let me read that. And let that burn into your heart and let that regulate your emotions. Terry. Jesse, what state should we be living in, brother? State of grace, brother. Don't live in a state of mortal sin. You got it. Read the Psalms every day. Read your Bible every day. Pray pray rose every day. And be holy or die trying, Terry. Amen. And don't forget our lady said, souls are going to hell because no one is there to pray and make sacrifices. God love you.